Defendants can't keep their mouth shut. Mr. Koberger couldn't do it either. An Anna Walsh update. The case that started all of Alec Murdoch's troubles is close to settlement, at least for some in the case. The Delphi suspect is back in court this week, what to expect. And um, don't take things that don't belong to you. Bad things can happen to you. Let me present Exhibit A. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment below, and hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps as well. And as always, let's support the people that help support Crime Talk. Go to crimetalksearch.com in the link and sign up for a background subscription service. Why do you need a background subscription service? Because there's people that come into your life that you want to know more about. Maybe you're not getting that warm, fuzzy feeling about them. Something just doesn't feel right. Maybe you're gonna get involved in an intimate relationship with them. Go check them out. When you sign up for that background subscription service, you can do as many searches as you desire and you can cancel that subscription at any time. That report is going to give you information about one's criminal history, whether they're on one of those public registries, if you know what I mean. And you're also going to find out if they're married, divorced, do they have property? Do they have liens or judgments against them? Things you probably want to know. Anyway, go to crimetalksearch.com, sign up. You'll be happy that you did. All right, let's roll straight into the docket today. Let's go ahead and open the uh, record for January 11th, 2023. And the first item on the docket is Brian Koberger. How many times have I said it here, ladies and gentlemen? It is always the defendant's own words that get them in the end because they just can't keep their mouth shut. So many times clients come and say, hey, I didn't talk to the cops, except for that one little conversation to just see what was going on. And then you find out that that little conversation lasted for 45 minutes. And usually the client screws themselves. Any defense attorney will tell you, shut your mouth. Don't say a word, not anything, nothing, not a zilch. Well, Mr. Brian Koberger apparently is, well, he's not the exception to the rule in any way. Apparently, he was talking to the police on his little flight back um, on the plane that took him from Pennsylvania to Idaho. And he reportedly told the cops, it's really sad what happened to those victims. Spontaneous statement, perhaps? Was it made during interrogation? He's clearly in custody. Did they elicit him? Sounds like a motion to suppress indeed. But we'll have to see. If it was a spontaneous statement, it's an admission by a party opponent and it comes in. Why would he feel sad about the victims? unless he did something to them, right? Or maybe it's just an innocent comment and nothing to worry about. Anyway, the point is he couldn't keep his mouth shut. It's inevitable. Well, he apparently made this comment, as I said, as he'd being extradited back to Idaho. And according to the police, he didn't speak directly about the student murders, but he did comment on their tragic fates. Apparently he did say it's really sad what happened to them, but nothing more. He apparently was talking to himself during the trip as well. At one point, he was apparently saying something to the effect of, I'm fine, this is okay. Who knows, maybe he doesn't like flying perhaps, or he's going back to face charges for, for homicides. Anyway, he apparently was quite 
reassuring of himself, saying that uh, the whole thing wasn't awful. Take it for what it is. Take it for what the source says that Mr. Koberger said. Now, obviously, for those who aren't familiar with this case, investigators have tied Mr. Koberger to the killing through his cell phone data, um, car make and model, and DNA found on a knife sheath allegedly left at the scene. Now, officials have not found any connections between Koberger and the alleged victims or a particular motive. Not that they need one. Most everybody would like to know why. Why? Anyway, the phone data revealed that uh, he allegedly had been in the area of the student's home in Moscow, Idaho, at least a dozen times before they were killed uh, in their beds. His uh, phone pinged in the area at odd hours, um, all but one of the 12 times in the late evening or early morning hours. We'll continue to follow that uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, he does have that uh, setting uh, that's scheduled for tomorrow. Next on the docket, an update on Anna Walsh. Well, apparently the husband of the missing mother of three, Anna Walsh, apparently was a long-term patient at a psychiatric center and apparently has been diagnosed as being a sociopath. Interesting indeed. The husband of the missing mother of three, Anna Walsh, was a long-term patient at a psychiatric center and apparently has been diagnosed as a sociopath. Brian Walsh, had received treatment at the Austin Riggs Psychiatric Center in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, before being discharged a few years ago. Now, this news comes as the search for Anna enters its 11th day. She uh, vanished from her family home in Cohasset early on New Year's Day. Uh, police have recovered a hacksaw, a hatchet, and a rug, found um, some blood and a waste disposal site near her husband's mother's residence. Now, on Monday, Mr. Walsh pled not guilty to charges of misleading investigators in the hunt for his missing wife. He remains in custody on a $500,000 bond. Now, Anna Walsh apparently begged her mother to fly to the United States just a week before she vanished on New Year's Day. Apparently, in a Christmas Day text, the real estate executive asked her Serbian mother to catch a flight to Washington, D.C. the following day. The mom said that the sudden plea to get together over the holidays made her think that maybe there were problems. Um, she didn't know. Needless to say, she didn't get on the plane and she hasn't seen her daughter since. She is obviously second guessing that decision. But uh, as we do know, apparently Anna vanished on January 1 when she failed to catch a flight to Washington, D.C. for work. Her husband, Brian Walsh, is charged with misleading police in regards to that investigation. And initially, the police treated this case as a missing persons, but now they are believing that Anna has, in fact, been murdered. She's described as 5'2", 115 pounds. Um, and there's a, obviously a request if anyone has any information as to her whereabouts to let the police know. Now, Walsh was seen on surveillance video buying heavy-duty cleaning supplies despite telling police that he had been home around the time that Anna was last seen alive. He told police that his wife vanished after she took a car to the Boston Logan Airport on January 1st, about 6 a.m. However, the rideshare service shows no pickups at the family home, and Anna's cell phone continued pinging at the property for two days. Anna was not reported missing until January 4th when her office was the one that called the police after she failed to show up for work. Since then, police have been combing the seaside town of Cohasset for any signs of Anna. Now, authorities say that Mr. Walsh gave cops misleading statements about his and his wife's actions around the time of his disappearance, buying himself ample time to clean up the possible crime scene. 
Now, prosecutors stated in court on Monday, these various statements caused a delay in the investigation to the point that during the time frame when he didn't report his wife missing and gave various statements that allowed him time to either clean up the evidence, dispose of evidence, or cause a delay. Clearly, the police believe he is the person of interest. Now, investigators did impound two trash trailers in their search thus far, and a business owner said that uh, they were last emptied just before New Year's. Now, Mr. Walsh was uh, photographed leaving a Cohasset police station on Monday morning with a big smirk on his face. He had been arrested on Sunday evening as detective continued to search um, for his uh, missing wife. She's not used her credit cards or phone since her disappearance and obviously hasn't shown up for work. Prosecutors also said that Mr. Walsh gave statements, including that he didn't leave the house during the time period, which obviously hindered their investigation. When the police did search the home, uh, they discovered uh, the blood on a knife in the basement. And when they did a computer search of Mr. Walsh's computer, how to dispose of a 115-pound woman. As I noted, Anna was 115 pounds. And not to mention he was at that Home Depot buying, buying all those cleaning supplies uh, when he shouldn't have been out because he's on house arrest. So he's going to go back to jail. Anyway, I just don't get it, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't like your spouse, get a divorce. You don't have to kill him. Just saying. Next on the docket, Alex Murdoch. The case that started all of Alex Murdoch troubles? Well, guess what? Some people are settling in the case. A settlement agreement was submitted to the court to consider the other day in uh, the wrongful death lawsuit filed by the family of Mallory Beach. Now, the wrongful death case stems from the February 24th, 2019 boat crash, which killed Miss Mallory Beach, uh, who was only 19 years old and from Hampton, South Carolina. The lawsuit can obviously be uh, viewed as uh, some sort of impetus to the collapse of the once powerful Murdoch family there in the low country since they had basically been the prosecutors since the early 1900s in that area. The Beach family sued a host of defendants, including the Murdochs, as well as the store that sold the alcohol to Paul Murdoch and Buster Murdoch, who let Paul use his ID in the case. They've also sued the estate of Maggie Murdoch um, so that uh, they can get these matters resolved. So the settlement agreement was in fact submitted uh, Tuesday and it includes the estate of Maggie Murdoch and her surviving son, Buster, as well as the court-appointed receiver handling the assets for Alex Murdoch. The lawsuit connects the Murdochs most directly via the late Paul Murdoch, who was allegedly at the helm of the boat of the center console and when it slammed into the pilings near the Archer's Creek Bridge near Paris Island, South Carolina. Uh, seconds before the boat crashed, GPS data obtained by the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources indicated that the vessel was traveling at a speed of approximately 29 miles per hour, and a beach was then flung into the cold, dark waters upon the boat's impact with the bridge. Uh, her body was discovered a week later by fishermen. The boat, allegedly driven by Paul Murdoch at the time of the crash, belonged to none other than, well, you know, Alec Murdoch the now disbarred attorney accused of killing his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. In the settlement agreement, the personal representative of Maggie's estate, Alec Murdoch's younger brother, John Marvin Murdoch, waived his right to any fees and agreed to pay the following. An estimated $290,000 in outstanding legal fees and administrative expenses, 
$12,000 to be paid to John Marvin Murdoch as personal representative to reimburse him for funds he advanced on behalf of the estate, $275,000 to be paid by the estate to satisfy a fraudulent conveyance claim made by the court-appointed receivers regarding the transfers of the family's Mosul property from Maggie's estate back to Alex Murdoch's name, $6,511 to Laura Jones LLC, LLC to satisfy an outstanding creditor's claim made against the estate, $530,000 to Murdoch's surviving son, Buster Murdoch, as sole devisee of the estate, um, $100,000 to John McCullough on behalf of Connor Cook, one of the boat crash victims. The remaining balance of the estate, an undisclosed sum, will be transferred to the attorneys for Miss Beach, as well as um, that will be paid to others that were in uh, the boat crash at the time of the accident. In addition to settling the lawsuit, the agreement resolves any creditors' claims made against Maggie Murdoch's estate. Um, it is contingent upon a loan from Palmetto State Bank being resolved, released, and satisfied for a payment of no more than $25,000 by the personal representative of the estate. The agreement includes the claims Palmetto State Bank filed against Maggie Murdoch's estate for mortgages on Moselle and the home she co-owned with Alex in Edisto Beach, South Carolina. The probate court disallowed the claims against Maggie's estate for the Mosel property and the Edisto property sold in June of 2022. Now, if approved, the agreement would be releasing the estate of Maggie Murdoch as well as Buster from the boat litigation. Court approval is one of the contingencies of the agreement and that uh, has to happen along with the Palmetto State Bank's agreement to abide by the deal it struck with the co-receivers. If this occurs, the matter will be settled and that'll leave uh, Alex Murdoch, Paul Murdoch's estate and Parker's convenience store as the remaining defendants at the trial. The case has started at all. It all started to crumble. It's almost like Alex Murdoch potentially could have had a reason to get rid of the people that started all the trouble. Well, that didn't turn out very well, allegedly. And obviously we give everyone the presumption of innocence. They're mere allegations, that's all they are. Next on the docket, let's talk Delphi. A hearing is set for Friday, January 13th, 2023, and Judge Gull will initially set to hear arguments on a change of venue and a gag order in the case against Richard Allen. Now, defense attorneys for Mr. Allen requested a change of venue away from Carroll County because of the high profile nature of uh, this case. A temporary gag order had been put in place since December and Gull could institute a gag order barring anyone uh, from talking about the case until it goes to trial. Now, the court will now hear additional arguments regarding requests made by Mr. Allen's defense team. And according to court filings, the defense lawyers filed a discovery request asking for a lot of information, including the names and addresses of potential witnesses that the state may call. The judge will also hold a hearing on Allen's attorney's request for funding as it relates to uh, hiring and paying investigators. Remember, they're court appointed. The court holds the purse strings on this particular uh, matter. So they will, uh, court has to approve that. And requesting the names of the witnesses, that is perfunctory. Most states require to be produced at the time of filing of charges, but it's uh, you file those type of motions just to make sure you ask for it and they turn it over. Now, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Delphi case, Indiana State Police announced Allen's arrest on October 31st of 2022. He's charged with the murder 
of uh, Abby William and Libby German, who were found deceased on February 14th of 2017. The case went unsolved for more than five years, despite the public release of evidence, such as a grainy photo of the alleged suspect, a recording of the alleged suspect's voice, and a pair of sketches. Investigators linked Allen to the homicides through an unspent round discovered next to the girl's body that the police said was traced to a gun that belonged to Mr. Allen. He had told an investigator back in 2017 that he was on the trails and near the Mon near the Monin High Bridge on the day of the homicides in the two-hour window in which investigators believed that the killings actually took place. The lengthy supplemental motion for discovery and request for Rule 404 and Rule 405 evidence seeks the uh, names, addresses of all the witnesses involved in the cases. Um, any transcripts that may have been made, and Allen's attorneys also wants the name of the individuals who may have knowledge of the case, but aren't going to be called by the witnesses. The motion asks for the statements from anyone who conducted any tests, experiments, examinations, or comparisons uh, in connection with the case. Now, this is all going to be turned over. Like I said, this is perfunctory boilerplate motions that are filed so you cover your butt to make sure that you asked for everything. The state... It's also being requested to turn over any phone records or recordings of phone calls made by Mr. Allen if they, in fact, exist. Attorneys want the records, books, papers, tapes, documents, photographs, videos, tapes, and other tangible objects and evidence that belong to Allen and may be used by the prosecution. That should all be inventoried. It would have to be turned over under existing law, whether the prosecution wants to turn it over or not. They want everything uh, gathered in this case, including reports, maps, drawings, diagrams from the Carroll County Sheriff's Office, local police department, Indiana State Police, Federal Bureau of Investigation, as well as the medical examiner's office or anyone that provided information in this case. And the attorneys want to know if the state has any exculpatory information, which once again, they'd have to turn over, which would exculpatory information is something that would reduce the culpability of Mr. Allen, basically say he didn't do it. Um, so if that exists, then the uh, state has to turn it over and they want any photo lineups or raise, any photos shown to anybody at any given time and what the results were. These are pretty broad requests, but the reality of it is, is the state has to turn it over. There's also an interesting request is that the motion requests information about a lawsuit involving the Carroll County Sheriff's Office and the personnel records of Toby Lensby, Tony Liggett, and Michael Thomas. In the lawsuit filed back in October of 2020, Thomas accused the sheriff's office of political retaliation, saying he'd suggested bringing in outside experts in the early days of the Delphi investigation, and his suggestion was rebuffed, he claimed, leading to his demotion after he lost the May primary race for sheriff. Now, Friday's uh, motion is set for 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. The investigator's request for funding will be uh, scheduled as well. We'll have to wait and see how it goes. More than likely, the court will be ordering the prosecution to turn everything over if they haven't done so already. How many times have I said, don't take things from people that don't belong to you because bad things could happen to you? Please see Exhibit A. So a Texas grand jury will determine whether an armed diner who shot and killed a robbery suspect at a Houston restaurant last week um, and returned stolen cash to other patrons will ultimately face criminal charges over this uh, gunfire that was captured on surveillance footage. 
So on Monday, the Houston Police Department said that a 46-year-old male shooter, whose name is not being released because he is not arrested or charged, was questioned by homicide detectives. He was initially wanted for questioning after fleeing the scene with other patrons um, after the uh, shooting incidents. After consulting with the Harris County District Attorney's Office, it was determined that the shooting will be referred to a grand jury. The robbery suspect uh, killed was identified as 30-year-old Eric Eugene Washington. At the time of his death, Washington had a prior conviction for aggravated robbery, which is taking things of other people that don't belong to you with a deadly weapon. And um, records also show that Washington had a further criminal history and was out on bond at the time of this shooting. Wow out on bond. I mean, don't get me wrong, people are entitled to bond. But when you got a history, past performance is indicative of future results, ladies and gentlemen. If you failed miserably, why would we think this time is going to be different? Just saying. Anyway, the 46-year-old shooter's attorney released a statement on behalf of his client that said, my client, who wishes to remain anonymous, was dining with a friend at the restaurant, uh, which is seen on the video. A robbery suspect entered the restaurant and pointed a weapon at his client and that the other customers and then demanded money. In fear of his life and his friend's life, his client acted to protect everyone in the restaurant. In Texas, a shooting is justified in self-defense, defense of others, and in defense of property. The customer has met with the Harris County District Attorney's Office and investigators and the Houston Police Department Homicide Unit. He fully intends to continue cooperating with the ongoing investigation. Surveillance video shows a, a patron that uh, shoots and kills the 30-year-old suspect, Mr. Washington. When the investigation is complete, the case will be presented to the grand jury. We are confident that the grand jury will conclude that the shooting was justified under Texas law. I'm not even sure why they need to go to grand jury, to be honest with you. Um, pretty straightforward to me. You come into a store demanding things from other people's money with a wire, firearm, uh, guess what? You assume the risk that you're going to be shot with a good guy with a gun. And in Texas, you can defend property. You can certainly defend your life, and you can certainly defend the lives of others. Seems like the district attorney's maybe being a little bit of a coward down there by sending it to the grand jury instead of just saying, I know what the law is. I see what took place on the video. Case closed. Not sure why the DA is being so wimpy. It's funny how the DAs use the grand jury when they want a pass, and so they can say, well, the decision wasn't made by me not to file charges, or they were made, the, the grand jury filed charges, wasn't, it wasn't me. The DA just should say, case closed. And finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Investigators say a software engineer known as Ermenildo Castro manipulated the software of his employer, an online retailer called Zulily, to divert money to himself. Specifically, authorities say Castro diverted shipping fees that were supposed to go to Zulily to his own account. He allegedly messed with the prices to buy $41,000 worth of goods the next morning. All in all, prosecutors say he stole roughly $300,000. And when detectives confiscated Mr. Castro's laptop, they say his entire plot was detailed in a folder labeled Office Space Project. When arrested, detectives say he admitted to being inspired by the movie Office Space. Another weird footnote, when Zuli, Zulili realized something odd was going on, they assembled a team to investigate. Guess who was on the team? That's right, Mr. Castro. Now, in the movie Office Space, uh, the uh, individuals tried to embezzle from their company after being inspired by a scheme seen in Superman 
three. So Mr. Castro, uh, man, inside guy on the investigation, and you left the incriminating information on the computer titled Office Space Project. So dumb, so dumb, watching too much TV, I guess. Anyway, all right, thanks for watching. Have a wonderful day, not just a great day, and we'll see you next time on Crime Talk.